2: Welcome to the AEW Rampage review. I'm Adam Wilbourne from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0. 25- Pay per views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestling culture. As I said, they're joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage and another bloody thoroughly enjoyable one hour of wrestling.
1: Yes, absolutely. I love Rampage. It's not blew away great most weeks, but it's bloody damn good. And it's just a nice little ritual of waking up knowing that, yeah, I'm quite excited about this, but there's nothing going to blow me away and then getting quietly blown away by lots of really clever booking or some really bang-tidy matches. It's just a wonderful hour of television. I've reached a sort of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here, Will Is it a compromise to my incredibly exacting standards, or is it just, what's the word, maybe a compromise where I've realized that February 2020, this mythical (laughs) period of which I just think AEW was at its very best. It's a different thing now. It just is. The three hours has to be measured differently to the two where it just felt like this incredibly anxious wait before the next week where you were so hyped and the entire wrestling fandom was built around it. So it's a different AEW now. Um, I'm coming to accept it, I think, and it's all the easier when you get a goddamn episode of TV like this. Together, Dynamite and Rampage are a nine or an eight most weeks. Mm. Sometimes the eight... Is a seven or whatever, and then the other way around. But I'd rather this, I think, than the two hours.
2: Yeah. I think that the, the, might be a bit of a backhanded compliment I'm going to give it here. In terms of w- how I would consume wrestling if I didn't have to consume it as part of my job, 100% I'm watching Dynamite the way I do now. I wake up an hour and a bit early than I normally would so I can watch it. And I can't. I don't have to even try and avoid social media or YouTube or anything like that because I don't like, you know, having surprises or title match uh, title uh, switches or even just great matches spoiled. I.e., oh, this is a great match. Don't tell me that. I just want to enjoy that myself. I think I'd probably watch Rampage the next level down from that. So I'd put it like probably watch it how I do now. I.e. Probably Sunday night. It's like, well, Sunday. I've done every, you know, I've done all my life admin for the for the weekend and what have you. I'm going to catch up on what happened on on, on Rampage because it, it very rarely disappoints. Like you say, it's not as essential, yeah, uh, as, as Dynamite, but uh, it's also not as throwaway as uh, every every WWE uh, show. I was going to say, as some of the other shows, and I was like, all of the other shows. All of the WWE shows, yes. Uh, Anyway, let's start at the beginning of Rampage with the excellent tag team match. It was uh, Trent Barrett and Rocky Romero, Roppongi Vice uh, versus the Young Bucks. Uh, We were made to wait for this, of course, because I think it was a COVID COVID protocol last time. Yeah,
1: Rocky Romero had the runner, so great to see him back.
2: Yeah, and uh, it was worth the wait. Uh, Trent and Nick start off. Uh, Beretta knocks Nick out to the floor with an elbow. Out there, Romero hits Nick with a uh, Rana, sends it back into the ring. In comes Matt Jackson. Uh, same difference. <laughs> he doesn't get much offense in. He uh, gets hit with a knee strike, gets hit with a clothesline. There's an attempted pinball off the back of that. Uh, Young Bucks try to fight off uh, Romero and Beretta two on two. Uh, and instead, they a double clothesline and a double knee strike to get sent to the floor. At that point, they go... You know what? Bollocks! We're off. They walk up the ramp, uh, and as Romero and Bretta give chase, they walk straight into a pair of super kicks by the Jacksons uh, and the cheeky little gits that are the Young Bucks. Try and win via count out. Come on, come on, AEW! Don't give me that. Um, the uh, Romero just makes it back in before the 10 count, but this allows the Bucs to take control. Uh, they hit a double-team breaker on Romero, take uh, Beretta out, knocking him to the floor with a kick. Then they send a Romero out there, and Nick hits that wonderful uh, assisted moonsault onto both of them on the floor. Uh, Orange Cassidy is there. Uh, you've got him in one corner, Brandon Cutler in the other corner. I was sort of a bit grumpy at the start of this going, but where's the other guy that they said is going to be there, but my concerns and complaints were answered so we'll get to that. So Orange Cassidy's there he's distracting the books. Uh, they go after him. He goes underneath the ring and then an arm that is clearly not Orange Cassidy's pops out doing the thumbs up. The Young Bucks pull this mystery person out but it's not Orange Cassidy. It is of course Danhausen they're nice. They're evil <laughs> my wife and he, he curses them. I told you about this before in the office so I've sort of spoiled your reaction to it. But like, like you say, the Dan Housen, Danhausen's still a bit of a mystery to me. If I'm honest, I'm certainly not one of those people who is as giddy with excitement as I see. I also, though, do recognise the huge bab that he often gets,
1: and the as of he's killing.
2: There's no, and I, I'm certainly not one of those people who's like, I don't like this. I just, I'm, I'm a he's
1: bit a mockery or <laughs> I'm
2: a bit sort of indifferent. Yes, to it so. is, is the best way of putting it. I, I'm not going to change the channel, but I'm also not going to be sat here next week going. Well, I wasn't Danhausen on this week's AEW shows, but my new favorite thing is he comes out, the great reaction from the fans, he does the point to curse people, and then the camera just sort of stays on him, and he goes, right, bye, and just <laughs> leaves. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's such a weird moment in time that then, you know, it's not like, and then, you know, the other team take over. There was a brief moment where it was like, by And then in come Rapongi Vice to take, the, take control. Uh, as a result of that, uh, they hit a double tope onto the books and uh, get him back in the ring so Romero can hit a neck breaker for a near fall. We go to the, the break, and when we come back, um, the Bucks have beaten down uh Roppongi Vice. I think there's only the Young Bucks that can get away with that spot where Matt encourages the crowd to get behind whoever's injured in the ring. It was Rocky Romero this time. Come on, you can make it to the corner for the hot tag. Except he's the one who's wrestling here. Yeah. So he gets he gets the tag, uh, comes in, just starts kicking the crap out of Rocky Romero. And then they do the best friends hug to the uh the uh, chagrin of the commentary team. Uh, thankfully, though, uh, Rocky Romero fights back, takes them both out with a Hurricane Rana. He gets to Beretta, he gets the hot tag, uh, takes out Nick with a clothesline, drops Matt with a half-and-half half suplex. Tornado DDT on Nick. Uh, but Matt pulls Beretta out to the floor. Beretta takes him out with a half-and-half half suplex. And then they hit a doomsday knee strike, doomsday device knee strike on Nick on Nick. On the floor, uh, and Romero hits Nick with a knee to the back of the head as he's in the ropes, and uh, Beretta hits a sliding knee strike for a nice two count. Uh, Nick and Beretta they exchange German suplexes, and then Romero and Beretta hit stereo German suplexes. Bucks fight back with super kicks, pair of clotheslines from Roppongi Vice. Everyone is down. Romero hits a knee strike, goes for sliced bread, but Matt Jackson counters into a tombstone attempt, wonderfully then uh, rolled through by Romero into a cradle for two. Uh, They get Romero up into that fireman's carry to go for the more bang for your buck, but Romero gets his knees up on the 450, uh, and Beretta catches Matt with a top-rope German suplex. Beretta hits strong zero on Matt. That gets a near fall, uh, but Nick throws Romero into the pile to break it up. Uh, Matt survives a doomsday device from the uh, Rapongi Vice, and then they superkick both guys, hit the best Meltzer driver ever for a uh, near fall, uh, and then, to finish things off, hit the BTE trigger on Rocky Romero for the pin. Post-match, Brandon Cutler comes in, goes to do the old spray-in-the-eyes gimmick to Orange Cassidy, but he's got sunglasses on, idiot. So uh, Cassidy... Uh, nails him with the orange punch after doing the kicks, but then turns around into a super kick party from the Young Bucks. Beretta chases off the Young Bucks, but then turns around into Jay White, who hits uh, hits him with the Blade Runner to stand tall. Your thoughts on the match and the post-match, Sige?
1: This is excellent. It was so nice to see the Young Bucks, who've not really been involved in AEW um, for various reasons over the past however many months, deliver, and I'm sorry, this word has been tainted. WWE's got this horrible of just tainting words, but this is legitimately a vintage Young Bucks performance. Yes. Um, I really liked the unique way that they launched um, Nick onto the rope for the um, springboard moonsault. That was beautiful. I haven't seen them do that in quite some time. The thing about the Young Bucks, and I never know how they do this. They're so good at their craft. In every single Young Bucks match, right, and I think it was Dave Meltzer who had the epiphany. I don't think this worked one. Since they became a great team, Obviously, you could go back and some of that early TNA stuff, whatever, wasn't that great, or they hadn't learned how to really craft these epics yet, or these bangers yet. Ever but since Generation they, Me. Yes. Yeah. If you go back and watch some of the earlier Generation Me stuff, there's moments where it's like your ambition is better than your ability at this point. Mm. You're trying to do too much. Um, but now they're just masters. It was Dave Meltzer who had the epiphany. Like They've never had a match that you couldn't really call very, very good at a minimum, and this was a great match. They constantly, in every single match, no matter where they are on the card, no matter where they are in their character arc, no matter who their opponent is in terms of their ability level, whether they're an FTR, or they had great matches with the acclaimed, that really helped the acclaimed, or they were barely even a tag team at that point. They do a spot or a sequence in every single match. And even those words as I sort of form this take sound like, oh, well, that must be redundant, and yet it isn't. They get a near fall that they kick out of, and it always feels like it's the finish. Mm. And the fact that they are kicking out of something that feels like the finish in every single match somehow, one, doesn't get boring, and two, when they do double-team moves and they're in control... They never feel like they're not the best tag team in the world. Mm-hmm. And yet the amount of times they've put themselves like, in character in a perilous position where they're going to lose or they get effectively double teamed. And yet they're so great at the craft that they never feel like they're giving their opponents too much. They give them the most hard pounding near-fall ever virtually in every match. Mm-hmm. And they always put themselves in a position where it's like, oh, they could lose this. And yet they never don't feel like the best tag team ever. They're just incredible at what they do. This is a really good match in terms of like high spots and head drops and just dramatic swings and momentum. This was like, I wouldn't say it was a top-tier Young Bucks match, but as a TV match.
2: This was exceptional, I thought. And um, the post-match... That's what I was getting grumpy about before, when I was like, where's Jay White? I thought he was going to be in the corner, and then I was like, oh, everything's been made up for in this wonderful spot.
1: Yeah, I think this post match was excellent, because you got the fun of Orange Cassidy, you got Brandon Cutler looking like a dick, which acted as a really neat contrast between Jay White, who's incredibly effective, whereas Brandon Cutler isn't, so I thought that was really deliberate. Mm -hmm, You not only got a fun spot, but you got something that acted as a contrast of, oh, Jay White could be helpful to us, unlike, you know, this absolute geek... Wonderful in the role, but his role is as a. Perfectly cast geek. Yeah, perfectly cast geek. So I love the contrast there. And I really like the idea of Jay White not necessarily getting in their business or like casting doubt over the outcome or like, is he going to screw us over? But no, he just comes in as Adam Cole delivered and advertised as someone who can kick someone's ass and help them out in a real jam when they find themselves yeah. in one. <laughs> all in service, obviously, of Adam Cole and Kenny Omega one day having a tussle over the affections of the Young Bucks. Um, really strong stuff all around. Um, I'm like you with Dan Housen. I just don't get it. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. It feels like oh, people love I hate Dan Housen. I'm like... Mm don't give a toss. Like <laughs> yeah. I just simply do not give a toss. I don't care about the idea of curses, breaking kayfabe, or being vaguely supernatural. Because what you've got is some guy who looks funny doing something funny in front of you. So every day, some geek in face paint does something funny with his hands right in front of you. And it would be momentarily distracting. Yeah. Like an actual good distraction. Not just, oh, I can hear an entrance music. All right, okay, I know what happens here. Don't do thing That the entrance music always does make you freeze in place. God, I've seen this one before with Danhausen in my head, Karen, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, that's what are you doing? it's a bit <laughs> distracting. And then you get like an aerial saltier dome. This is really good, really fun, really exhilarating. Perfect ratio of offense if you want to be analytical about it, but it never really feels like that.
2: No, I mean, I, I, I Said to you, I watched this on a bit of a blitz before the Super Bowl last night, and then rereading the notes because I was like, oh yeah, it was it was a really good match. And there was loads of spots, and I was as I was making as I was like, oh, and there was that spot and that spot and that spot. It was yeah, it was really good on a on a rewatch. watch So uh, yeah, fantastic to see young books back to doing what they do best. Uh, we get an announcement from commentary, Ricky Starks revealing that uh, Dante Martin is going to be facing the wonderfully dressed powerhouse Hobbs uh, in a Face of the Revolution qualifying match on Rampage next week. And then we go backstage for an interview with the excellent Brian Danielson, uh, who gets asked about, you know, his offer to Moxley, and then what happened with Moxley and Punk. Uh, and he said, look, I've oh, got no, no, no qualms here. Look, I, it's are two different things. This is a long-term relationship I want to make with, with, uh, with, with John Moxley. Not a one-night stand kind of thing that CM Punk did on Wednesday. Uh, he's interrupted by uh, Matt Seidel, uh who, you know, says uh, he's not happy about what Danielson's been saying about, you know, taking um, the Moriarty under his wing and uh, and training him. And uh, he says, uh, look, got, you're a great coach, mate, but you need to teach him about violence. Oh, I've got to... erect. Brutality, he says. Um, And Lee says, well, look, you don't have to just talk about me like I'm not here. I am here, and you want to see violence, you want to see brutality, I'll give it to you next week on on Dynamite. And Danielson does all the, oh, good for you, mate. Nice to see you stepping up. I'm going to kill you on Wednesday, effectively. Love this. I love
1: this. I'll talk about what I expect to happen um, on Dynamite on the preview, so uh, Mm. make sure to check that out on Wednesday, all going well. I love this. It's still not enough, Wilborn, for me to drop. What the mega fans love to hear me say because it means that I'm in love with AEW and they like my enthusiasm for the product. If I was thinking it was deft dovetailing booking, I would say it yeah. was deft dovetailing booking. The fact that it took an impromptu match to arrive at something approaching deft dovetailing booking means I can't really call it deft dovetailing booking, but my God, this is some attempt. Flawed, but what an attempt. The contrast between John Moxley going, yeah, I'll help out CM Punk, and just making Danielson wait for these two brilliant individual storylines to like dovetail into one another is wonderful stuff. They know exactly what they're doing. Just the destination was a little bit cheeky to arrive at it. But regardless, I love this direction. And you know what? I actually thought this interruption was really, really good. Usually an interruption is, oh, let's go and find the person we're feuding with. Because we didn't really have the chance to do that all week or whatever. Yes. So I get annoyed by this. This interruption felt different to me. I don't know if it's just because I love the storyline direction. I don't know if it's just because I love the prospect of the match by getting on Dynamite. But it genuinely felt like Matt Seidel had been stewing on things that Danielson had said, indirectly disrespected him because he didn't even mention Seidel. Because it's one thing for... Danielson to say, oh, Wheeler Utah's hanging around with geeks who are like really wholesome but stupid geeks who mm. don't have an appetite for winning or anything like that. It's another thing to say, oh, Daniel Garcia is wasting his career because 2.0 are just snot-nosed geeks who talk trash. Like Matt Seidel is closer to Danielson than 2.0 or yeah. um, best friends are. So I can well imagine him saying, Oh, come on, mate. Like, you know me, when I'm not like that. I'm trying to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And Danielson goes, yeah, but you're just not quite as good as me. Like, I genuinely thought that was a good interruption. Not every, like, there's a good and bad version of everything. We say it constantly. We, ham- we hammer it home constantly. This was a good, logical, convincing interruption that I could genuinely believe those words coming out of my side mm. mouth. Where previously, I'm just thinking, oh, you're in a segment because he's a feuding. And it doesn't matter how contrived it feels. Great interruption. Almost retrospectively saving the thing I hate the most in AEW. Mm-hmm. My mood is lifted. Uh,
2: then we got Robin Renegade against the AEW Women's World Champion, Britt Baker, uh, who was uh, walked ringside by Rebel Reba. Uh, but no Jamie Hayter, conspicuous by her absence, some might say. Uh, relatively straightforward victory, as we predicted on the preview. Of this for Britt Baker. Um Renegade misses a charge early on. Baker takes control as we go into a break. When we come back, though, Renegade did get, uh, get some decent offense in. Shotgun drop kick. She gets a near fall off a frog splash. Um, but then Baker escapes a suplex attempt with a nice gator roll. Uh, hits a super kick. Elbow strike. Fisherman's neckbreaker. Curb stomp. One, two, three. But this is all about really what happened post-match. Because just to rub it in and at the encouragement of, of Rebel, uh, Baker pops on the glove and puts the uh, lockjaw on on Robin Renegade, who's also bleeding from the mouth. Never would advocate for that, but my God, did it make it look good. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Um, Thunder Rosa sprints down to make the save. She just lamps Rebel on the way down to the ring. Uh, she starts battering Britt Baker. Jamie Hater runs down to make the save, uh, takes out Rosa with a backbreaker, and then here comes Mercedes Martinez, who sort of shoves Hater out of the way, like, I want to kick her head in, and they both sort of fight over who's going to finish off Thunder Rosa, basically. Big argument breaks up, uh, and yeah, Britt Baker has to slide into between the middle of the two and go, we're all friends here. My stable definitely isn't about to implode. uh
1: uh-huh. um, Look, the match probably missed in it, terms of its stated ambition. I think the idea here was to have Dr. Britt Baker as the ace of the division work a champion performance whereby you work not a no mark but someone who's like way below the championship level give them something it's the old rick flair thing that ryan sat never got like any omega does where the whole idea is if you're the champion and you give your opponent something but balance the act just enough so that you get your heat nothing's really wasted the only thing you've done is you spotlighted a, bear, a a challenger who's breaking through with the idea being that they're obviously going to be way more up for it than the champion who would consider this just a sort of obligatory defence or an obligatory contractual thing that they have to do. But if you put yourself in the mindset of the person who's going up against the champion, they're going to think, look, well, Jesus Christ, it's like an
2: FA Cup. I'm literally about to say it's like an FA Cup tie.
1: It's like an FA Cup tie. Like, Think about it as a story. Don't think about it like an idiot, okay? <laughs> if you think about it like a sport, right? And I don't think there's that much. I can understand why the youngs don't get this as much because they don't have relegation they mm. don't have necessarily tiers like the college football players don't really play against NFL no exactly teams. so in england right where the, the real sports happen the one yeah. where you have to defend it against other teams to actually win a world cup world series <laughs> the whole crack is right we've got like a tiered system where there's a premier league at the top of the football pyramid underneath you have the championship i hate how it's called the championship mm-hmm. call it something that sounds worse than the premier league so it's a bit confusing
2: division one league you had the one? name one that's league
1: three realistically yeah. But anyway, you, so you have your top tier, second, third, fourth, all the way down to your, your best towns, league. Best league, national, your league. provincial towns. What's the best league?
2: National League. Mm.
1: So you have your, your <laughs> towns, your, your pub teams, and all the rest of it, right? So the idea is, in the FA Cup, which is the Football Association Cup, it's a magic institution in England. Um, it's faded over time, but the, the genius is, if you're Manchester City, or if you're like... They're too good. If you're like Tottenham Hotspur, right? Yes. And you're like a team who are really, really good, at least compared to the lower league teams, you are considered like a scalp. So like a team in the third or fourth tier is looking at Spurs and thinking, this is the biggest match we'll probably ever have in our lives. We could tell our grandkids about the time that we took them out and we killed that giant in the fourth round, yeah. and we had an FA Cup run that is just a, an immense source of pride. These teams are so bang up for it. The Premier League prima donnas half the time, just don't know what hits them when they get pressed, charged relentlessly in these matches. and You get these players who would never do anything like this in the league just are so up for it. Dr. Britt Baker versus Robin Renegade, Kenny Omega versus Alan Angels, you think about it as a story right alan angels and robin renegade are going to enter the performance of their lives because it's their chance to do something that like they would never get the opportunity to do this kind of fell short i think in that that idea but that's why these level of opponents get offense on the stars that's what (laughs) happens um the post-match was very interesting because it sets up all sorts of directions um but it's nothing we didn't really see coming mm. together on Dynamite the week before. But Hater versus Martin uh, Mercedes would yeah. be absolutely incredible. Like no, proper is that physical. this week on Dynamite. No, it's either No DQ Thunder Rosa versus Mercedes oh. Martinez. But they've set up Hater versus like for the, who's going to be the best heater. So they've set up all sorts. That feels like genuinely like a big umbrella picture at the top of the women's division. genuinely feels like it's getting booked almost on the level of what they would do with the men. Mm. And we've been crying out for that for yeah. quite some time.
2: I didn't expect to see what came next on uh, AEW Rampage, because what came next was a heel turn for Chris Statlander, apparently. Uh, Jesus Christ. There was a a promo uh, featuring, of course, uh, legit Layla Hirsch. And God bless... The United States. And her, which makes it even funny with that clip, her Russian upbringing in an orphanage and the, un- the the hardship she's gone through to get where she is today. She was furious at Statlander, saying that she took shortcuts, cheap shots, etc. when she twatted her with a chair the other week. Um, Statlander says, if that's the sort of attitude you've got, Layla Hirsch, no wonder your parents gave you up for adoption. What? I mean, Jesus Christ. I saw the furore on Twitter, and at
1: the end of the day, it's just someone trying to say something memorable, and too bloody memorable, if anything, Yes. It, I mean, it clearly, certainly scanned to me is uh, a bit harsh, not exactly the most baby face of moves, but my God, it was a slow bloody weekend, this one, if that's getting right mm. in the mix of people's conversation. I think that Chris Statlander thought, I've come up with an absolute doozy here, can I say this, and someone's approved it internally and thought that's a killer line but for a heel it's a killer line for a baby face it's just way too much
2: well it's it's it it's way too much for someone like layla Hirsch. if someone said mjf i'm not surprised you pe- your parents got rid of you that you might be able just to get yeah, away yeah, with yeah. that because
1: mjf said it
2: yeah because he's such an unbearable asshole. it's like god imagine him as a kid he'd be even worse but like i was like I get it, Layla's the heel in, in all this, but I was like,
1: uh, I'm not too sure this is fundamentally. It was a stupid thing to say because one of the reasons why I was kind of against them turning Layla her heel, not that she hasn't done exceptionally well so far on the role, is because her real life story is so incredibly impressive. It's a bit like powerhouse, Hobbs, isn't it? Yeah, like I admire her far too much to really root against her. Well, time will tell um, what happens with all of this, but my initial misgivings were nah, but she's too heroic i admire her too much and you don't want to remind the audience of her genuine hardships and how impressive she's done in her goddamn life to persevere through that Mm. um silly bit of scripting that was all in service of trying to get over i'll never not i'll never begrudge someone for trying to get over even if this was a misguided attempt uh, with which to
2: do it Hook was next. I Always get a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh, I really hope not. I don't know why I've thought this, but maybe it's just my WWE brain of like, oh, is this the week the blue, bloom comes off the rose, or we, you know, it's we. I come in and we have to go. Yeah, it was, it was it was, a, was fine. it was it was a fine hook match. Wasn't this bloody week? I'll tell you that he was facing Blake Lee, one of QT Marshall's students, of course. Uh, Blake Lee, former amateur wrestling champion. D- uh, didn't matter. Didn't matter. If, Hook, he did not mess about here. Uh, Takes control with a quarter Nelson, backs Lee into the corner, body shots to him. Uh, he flips out of a hip toss attempt and suplexes Blake Lee. Uh, Marshall jumps up on the apron to distract Hook. Uh, <laughs> but all that happened was Hook avoided a uh, crossbody by Blake Lee by stepping out of the way. Love that spot. I've loved it for many a year, but Hook especially it works perfectly for. He suplexes Lee, puts on the red rum, gets the submission victory, and then just pieces out. Because once again, another excellent showcase masterclass from Hook here.
1: This is absolutely incredible. Incredible Pro Wrestling TV and incredible Pro Wrestling Episodic TV. I tweeted something to this effect at the weekend, but of course the mega fans oh, will yeah. forgive me. I can't believe how awesome this is. And like the the brass neck, the goddamn balls (laughs) on these guys to do this specific kind of push and how much it speaks to how great Hook is as a prospect. What they've done is they've said, right, we've got like pretty much the coolest young kid in wrestling in years to feel like this cool, this like distinctly cool in an enigmatic way that you can't really articulate. This kid is incredibly cool badass, he's got credentials, he's like a legit guy. He's kind of like, with his um, hip-toss reversal on his feet, transitioning into a suplex, like mechanically, how fluid it all looks and how perfect it all looks. He's kind of like video game wrestling in the way that sort of a Ricochet or a Parker and Osprey do, but it's all in service of this really legit grappling technique. So he's like a realistic video game fighter. Mm. He's the best of both worlds. He's just the best at everything. So what they've done is like, we've got this coolest goddamn kid in wrestling in years. How do we book him? Well, right. Let's write down a list of the most badass stuff that wrestlers do. And we will ration it week by week by week by Mm -hmm. week, knowing that there's always going to be a new cool hook thing with the idea being that you, Build this beast, this little monster of a guy who's going to impress you every single week with something that could be memed, highlight reeled, just basically building, building, building a star. It's all about building stars. So they write down a list, and it's simply titled The Coolest Goddamn Things a Pro Wrestler Can Do. (laughs) And the more lengthy the list is, the more ambitious it is, the more it's like, oh, will this look like it's trying too hard or can you really pull all of this off? Head drop suplexes, cool, right? No selling pile drivers, incredibly cool. You've got one of the coolest chokeout submissions in all the pro wrestling. Action Bronson theme tune, oh. and now you've got the nope spot. Like, other than give the kid face paint, <laughs> right? I don't know what else you can do to make him seem like the coolest pro wrestler alive. Yeah, and because Hook is Hook, this incredible prodigy, he pulls off this list of incredible things. Like you know when like you, you ever e fed or did Mm -hmm. you ever do stuff like that vaguely yeah so the idea is you want to make yourself like the coolest right (laughs) you see wrestlers try to do this all the time and the more they go down this list the lamer they are for not doing it all and how trying too hard they are hook can just do it all Mm. he's like a composite of a badass he's like the cliche of a badass literally an itemized list of badass stuff and not only can he do all of it really well, but he does it in a way that just never scans as a list. It's just fantastic booking. He looked incredible mechanically. Um, the clubbing forearms to set up. Um, the did he do it after the match
2: as well or not
1: or just during?
2: No, I think it was just just set up the red room. He's mastered that as well. I thought of you when he did that. Yeah, because
1: yeah. it's the one like it's the one thing I thought. Oh, go back to the uh, the the training school on that one because it didn't look particularly like he was hitting people in the face. (laughs) This time, and it was awesome, he looked like he was hitting people
2: in the face. Hook rules. Hook rules very, very hard indeed. Get no arguments from me. Uh, Tag team title match to main event. Of course, beforehand we get the promo, it's the two old guys going back and forth, talking about making statements and slagging off each other's T-shirts and things like that. Um, Christian and the champs, though, promised to destroy... Uh, the Gun Club for, for good. Uh, Jungle Boy tees up the whole ass boys chant from the crowd as the Gun Club make their entrance. And another one in the list. I'm not sure, I think I'm, I might missed it last week. Uh, so we've had Luchasaurus say, oranges, rah, apples. Rah. This week just went ass. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... do do the John Silver mouthing along to that in the studio as that plays out, by the way. Um, Really enjoyed this. And uh, I I said this on on the SmackDown thing as well. There's been two title matches uh, on these two shows where I went in going, cool. So on the preview, title retention. Yeah. (laughs) On the SmackDown one, Naomi hit a rear view and my brain in the time it took uh, to do the 2.9 kick out I'd already been like, oh, okay, I guess Charlotte wins the title back at Elimination Chamber. Um and and this there was a similar a double thought here. Oh my god. The Gun Club are winning the tag titles and oh bollocks, I've got to bring back the Rampage rap. Yep. <laughs> he, we'll will get to the bell shot anyway. Uh they start off uh, Austin Gun Jungle Boy uh hits him with a uh, Jungle Boy hits him with a tackle, crotch chop. Uh there'd been a, an early crotch chop. Uh, from, from both teams, uh, directed towards Billy Gunn, one in homage and one in uh, piss take. Uh, step up Horikam Rani because Jungle Boy's awesome. In comes Colton, takes a lariat. Uh, Luchasaurus gets the tag in, chops Austin. Early on, it looks like uh, Jurassic Express kind of just got this match in hand. Um... Jungle Boy comes off the top with a senton. He gets a near fall. Uh, Colton who gets the blind tag, comes in and clocks Jungle Boy with a lariat. And the gun club took control as we went to a, an ad break. When we come back, Jungle Boy's breaking free from a chin lock. Austin gets dumped out to the floor. Uh, Colton missed a splash, but managed to hit a backdrop suplex on Jungle Boy uh, because Jungle Boy... Oh, Went to get the tag from Luchasaurus, but he'd been yanked off the apron uh, by Austin Gunn. Uh, Jungle Boy hit Austin with a super kick, got the tag to Luchasaurus, who came in and just chucked both of them about. Um, he hits him with a double clothesline, uh, goes for the double choke slam, but they escape by dropping to the floor. So Jungle Boy hits a mad tope to take him out, and Luchasaurus hits a standing moonsault for a two count. Anyway, this was the moment where it all sort of changed and (laughs) yeah, everyone got kind of sucked into it all. Austin hits the quick draw on Jungle Boy on the floor. Colton tries to pin Jungle Boy with his feet on the ropes, but Christian shoves his legs off there. That causes a come-together between uh, Billy Gunn and Christian. And in the midst of this distraction, Jungle Boy turns around to just get nailed between the eyes by Austin Gunn with a belt shot. And I don't really like... Overacting a lot of times with my wrestling, but Jungle Boy's eye roll, he looked mm. like something out of a Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something like that. He was like, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, so the titles are changing hands. One, two, Jungle Boy kicks out uh, at the last second. Uh, him and Austin take out each other with a double clothesline. Luchasaurus yanks Colton out of the ring and just slams him into the crowd. In the midst of all this, uh, Christian spears Billy Gunn on the floor. And as uh, Austin Gunn goes for the famous uh, Jungle Boy reverses it and hits the kill switch on Prettier, whatever you want to call it. Christian's finisher to get the pinfall victory, uh, Jurassic Express or retain the tag titles, and I've moaned for a few weeks about just the oh, up uh, two members of the Dark Order or that oh, private party, the number one tag team, uh, number one contenders. And I know this has been sort of bubbling in the background, so it's not quite the same. But I, I bought this as a, a title match far more than the others.
1: Absolutely, and I enjoyed the others as matches as well. This was a bit different. This I felt like it was a real um, credit to Jurassic Express. And following this match, I had another epiphany. Oh. The epiphany was i'm really into this reign, and i think they've done a goddamn tremendous job they're not part of a huge massive overarching storyline like hangman page and kenny omega when they were the tag team champions they were like on dynamite before there was a rampage so there's like an inbuilt advantage for them to have this great reign mm-hmm. because they were part of this like really intricate complex storyline that brought in um the young bucks um, that teased a potential match between Page and Omega themselves, and then FTR got involved. Now, when the Young Bucks took the titles of FTR, who beat Page Paige and Omega, they genuinely felt like they were part of everything because mm. they were like the elite had taken over AEW, essentially, and they were all over the show. So it really felt like they were better positioned to have a quote-unquote epic memorable title reign. This is different. This is just mm-hmm. a babyface unit, taking on all comers, and I'm starting to really get impressed by it. It doesn't really feel as epic or as fundamental to everything AEW's doing, but if you view what they're doing in isolation, I think they deserve all the credit in the world for this title
2: reign. Yeah, I was going to say there, if you don't judge them as uh, a title matches akin to the world title, so as in, you don't think about it as like, is this the same as a Hangman Page match or as a Britt Baker match, but instead you judge them with the uh, you know the TNT Championship or the FTW Championship, like pillars underneath the 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 main two titles. I think I, 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 you're right. I think if you analyze it in that perspective, yeah. it's far more palatable.
1: But on the other side of that, you could also approach that as a criticism because the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Hangman Page especially made it feel like an actual world title, not just a tag title. But in terms of a tag team title reign, this is genuinely, I think, really quite impressive. They were really fun matches in which their opponents, who are just dead robbers who aren't going to win, feel elevated, and they've got no right to be as dramatic as they are. Like, there were moments where, like, for example, in this match, I want to put over Gun Club before I put over Jurassic Express. Like, there were little moments, like, when one of them was getting hoed over the top rope, and just in doing so, it was like, right, well, he's going to land on his head, but I'll tag him anyway. I generally thought that was a really good tag team bit of um, creativity. So they were really strong in this match, I thought. That basically, this is the highest possible compliment what Culture Wrestling Podcast can pay a tag team. They reminded me of 2.0. Like, really crafty, sneaky little pricks who've trash-talked their way into a title match, and they are way better... Than their bluster and big talk and brashness would suggest they've wrong
2: footed Jurassic mm. Express. But and they thought. lean a little bit on the fear of fans of, like, these can't be the guys to dethrone Jurassic exactly. Express. Exactly,
1: absolutely. So I thought this was really well done as a main event. Yeah. Um, Luchasaurus was really good on the role, as he always is. He performed his spot. Like, the choke slamming into the crowd was really, really <laughs> nice. Um, but Jungle Boy, like, you mentioned the eye roll. I want to put over the kick-out. Not only is it in character, because Jungle War got over by the strength of his perseverance. We talked about it quite often, the spirit of defeat and how he would always show something before he got put down. The idea of him surviving a belt shot was something that he's done in character. Like, you can give me your best shot and that's the only way you're going to beat me. And now he's sort of using those two years of building this person, like this guy who could persevere for two years. It's now informing near Falls, which is great. Funny. <laughs> kick-out was genuinely like a carder Roman Reigns tier because what they do is they don't kick out at 2.9. They roll the shoulder and they're about to kick out at 2.9 where you think, that's it. It's like genuinely a hard stop and near fall. And if you think about it, Jurassic Express have to wait while Dark Elevation probably goes on too long and they get all of those matches in the can. Then Dynamite, which is a more prestigious TV show, happens and more often than not even if it's not a classic complete belt-to-bell episode there's invariably one incredible thing that the crowd are really up for yes at least one on a dynamite even when the dynamite episode itself isn't great then they get rampage which has been kind of stigmatized now as the b show let's face it yeah a fun enough time most weeks but not as essential the, the word you used at the end of this really long taping block Jurassic Express have got to get the crowd up for the last match they're going to watch after like four and a half hours.
2: On a tag match that's already happened. When the ta- I, yeah. yeah,
1: when a hot tag match has already happened against opponents that everyone in their rational mind knows has got no chance of winning these titles, whether it's Silver and Reynolds, Private Party, and now the Gun Club. And yet they get a really nice reaction to... Every match they have as tag team champions and the crowd, even if it's just by the end, get really into it and they're exhausted. I think they can be incredibly proud of what they've done as tag team champions so far, mm-hmm. dot, 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 even if it hasn't reached the heights of the previous tag team title reigns. I have a fun time watching them and I'm very impressed how they managed to do this four and a half hours deep into a tape.
2: Yeah, really good point in that. Yeah, really enjoyable episode of, uh, of AEW Rampage and, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say gone are the days that, that me and Hamflit used to, to to sort of talk about where it was like, All right, at the end of Rampage, um I've had enough AW till till Wednesday. Like I wanted more now after the back yeah. of it. I was like, you know, you got Jungle Boy with the camera on the turnbuckle and he's celebrating. I was like, cool, when's the next AEW thing? Yeah. You know, so, uh, the, the mission accomplished. Uh, but let us know your thoughts on AEW Rampage, on Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, uh, well, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. And make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, the SmackDown Review is available right now. Uh, and we'll be back later on with the preview of Monday Night Raw. Uh, but for now, this has been the AEW Rampage Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.